Welcome to Necromantic Presents Satanus Sanctum, a horror movie podcast where we will explore some of the greatest, coolest, most bizarre, and most vile horror movies ever created. Welcome, horror freaks, to the inaugural episode of Necronathan Presents Satanist Sanctum, a horror movie podcast. Today, I am joined by the Witch of Midway, Amanda, my wife. Today, we will be discussing Possessor Uncut which is made by the filmmaker Brandon Cronenberg, the son of David Cronenberg himself. Like I said, welcome, horror freaks. Welcome to my inaugural podcast, Satanus Sanctum, a horror movie podcast, where we will discuss all sorts of horror, including some of the darkest and most depraved films ever created. As I said, tonight we are joined by the Witch of Midway, my wife, Amanda. How are you tonight, Amanda? I'm wonderful. How are you? That's great. I'm doing good. (laughs) We just finished watching... What did we just finish watching? Possessor. Possessor Uncut. And, wow. It was Amanda's second viewing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was my... Necronathan. uh, It was my... um, fourth viewing i think Mm -hmm. um and wow this film is incredible we're just gonna get right to it um first of all thank y'all for listening in on my first podcast hope you all enjoyed this all right so we're gonna go straight into questions since it's just the two of us me and my lovely wife so here we go excited Uh, to do this let's do it let's do it all right so the first question is what is your mini review or overall take on Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor Uncut? It's fucking nuts. That's what I think. <laughs> 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 All right. So, my f- little mini review is this is a crazy mind trip that has. All kinds of fun little twists and turns. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know what time period this is in. It's a very awesome, like, sci-fi horror movie. Yeah, Um, definitely. I loved it. And the second time viewing it was even better than the first. Because it's one of those movies that, like, you have to think about. And every time you watch it, you see something else different. And that's movies that I love. Yeah. I love those kinds. And just because I forgot to mention, obviously, if you are listening to this, I hope you have seen Possessor Uncut, because we will be filling this with all sorts of spoilerific fantasticness. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, anything else to say about just overall, like, adjectives you would use to describe the film, or any feelings you have about it? 
in the year 2020 seeing this film. <laughs> okay, so we're going to he's going to post this later on his Facebook page. But I am looking forward to seeing if this gave anyone else like anxiety throughout the movie. <laughs> Cuz I we just finished watching it and I'm still having a little anxiety from it. Like that's a good movie if it makes you have a mini anxiety attack when you're watching it. It's <laughs> true. It evokes all kinds of feelings. It really gets under your skin, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Yeah, and I think one of the critical reviewers had said something about that, about it getting under your skin. Um, somebody else said um, the first great sci-fi horror film of the decade and I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, this film is phenomenal. It's fantastic. It's mind-blowing. It does truly get under your skin and into your psyche. Leaves some psychological scars of sorts. There's parts that will make your skin crawl and just make you go, ah, can't yeah. believe I just saw that. This movie embodies all my favorite subgenres of horror. Um, first of all, sci-fi horror. Mm. I love dark sci-fi horror. You know, movies like the Alien films, mm -hmm. Event Horizon, mm -hmm. The Fly, the Jeff Goldblum version, of course. Um, of and, course. And this film is just right up there with them. I mean, Brandon Cronenberg is a chip off the old block his, of his old man, David Cronenberg. He is a phenomenal master of sci-fi and horror together. This film is also a psychological horror movie, in mm -hmm. very much so, which is also one of my favorite subgenres, and it's also fits into the category of gore or bloody, disturbing horror. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> this film, you know, they don't. Uh, it's not incessant, constant, um, pervasive, so to speak, uh, horror violence. But when the, it is violent, it takes you beyond where you may be comfortable. Yeah, it's one of those that comes on nowhere. Like, well, you you know that it's going to come a little bit, but when it comes, it's like it hits you in the face. Yeah, I mean, it's some, uh, and we'll get into some more of this later with, when we yeah. talk about uh, kills and deaths. But uh, um, this movie has some very original and creative kills and deaths. Um, it is... It makes you think just as much as it makes you squirm. I mean, even from, like, the very first, like, opening scene in the credits, like, there's this scene where a needle is put into a person's head and they zoom in on, like, the blood trickling down. Yeah. And the needle going in and you're just like, oh, no, yeah. oh, this is where it's going. Which reminds me, <laughs> this film, one of the things I love about it is you cannot tell when... Or where this film takes place, mm -mm. the way that Brandon Cronenberg made it, um, it could be America, it could be Canada, it could be the United Kingdom, it could be in London, it could be in Miami, it could be in New York or Chicago. I mean, this film, like, it has so many elements that make you think of these different places. And also, we don't know when it's happening, because in this film, there's such a mix of analog and digital. Mm -hmm. There are, uh, you know, 
its premise is based in futuristic technology, the ability to you take one's own mind and take over another person's mind and control of their body, but the parameters for which they uh, initiate this process is very analog. They use switches and knobs and buttons and mm-hmm. um, instead of touchscreens and like minority report type um technology it's more like analog there's loose wires and all kinds of you know in, insertion of plugs and wires and things and they even use like flip phones and yeah they use flip phones and then they have phone you know they have flip phones from like the early 2000s and then there's a phone from one of the main characters that it was from like 2009 when android was first starting like with a physical keyboard. yeah like the touch screen but with a physical keyboard that you can s- slide the screen up and get to and and then there's other devices that are touch screen and the, just the whole movie like everything in it from like the original some of the original iconic images of like the apparatus placed over the head of our uh our heroine Tasia Voss um very iconic imagery with the physical nature of what is placed over her when she goes into someone's mind and mm-hmm. uh, there's later on there's some virtual reality glasses goggles that are worn um but even those look like they could be analog they they're wired they're not wireless but the technology they're using is very modern or even futuristic like the whole movie it's mixed messages and mixed signals as to this could have happened in the 1980s or it could have happened in 2038. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, it's, it, but that's what's great about it and what I feel is iconic about it. You know, Amanda, mm. it, it, what's iconic about it is that it does have that ambiguity of place and time and so i feel like this film will be a timeless classic will be a timeless cult classic i agree uh for genre fans because of its ambiguous time and place nature i feel it's like it's going to be one of those movies that you find one of your horror movie fan or friends and you're like have you seen this movie okay you gotta go check it out like one of those that flies under the radar that just circulates and everybody, like, here, talk to your friends about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right, let's get a little further in. We're going to start with uh, Amanda here. Um, favorite kill or death Ooh. out of the, the several that are in the film? What was your favorite kill or death? Hmm. I mean, we. I think we both have kind of the same favorite on this, but mm-hmm. um, the Sean Bean character's death is amazing, and I was thinking about this too. Like, okay, you have a background in sound design, so you probably appreciate this. Yeah. When he goes to kill, sorry, spoiler alert. When he goes to kill the guy. Like, the bubbling, cracking sound when he stabs the poker into his mouth is perfect. It makes you cringe. Yeah, and that kind of goes to definitely, I mean, like, obviously Sean Bean is most legendary in cinema for 
dying, all sorts of different kinds of deaths. We've probably seen Sean Bean die. If you're familiar with his cinematography uh, or his uh, cinematography, uh, then uh, you'll know that Sean Bean dies in most all his movies. (laughs) Um, Everything from Ronin to Lord of the Rings to Game of Thrones. Like, this dude, sorry if you haven't seen those. Yeah, Sean Bean dies because he always dies. He doesn't dies. last. He always dies. Always. Like, I don't know that I've seen a Sean Bean movie where he doesn't die at some point or a Poor show where he doesn't die at some point. But this death in this movie was one of the most original and mm. most disturbing and gruesome deaths I've ever seen of Sean Bean or anybody. And, um, well, like, it's one for the books, folks. I mean... Sean Bean, like, he doesn't, you know, when it comes to him being killed or dying, like, he doesn't disappoint. It's always new, it's always fresh, and especially so with Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. One of the things I like about this movie also is, like, a lot of, not a lot, but there are horror movies out there that when it comes to a kill, the camera will pan away and let you kind of imagine what's going on. Yeah, or like sound design design, fills in the gaps, that kind of thing. This one, like, shows you. It does not shy away. It shows you exactly what's going on. Yeah. And, like, puts you right in it. And it looks amazing. It looks realistic. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting with this movie, like, Tazia Voss. Obviously, the... the, uh, I mean, if you've seen it, hopefully you've seen it. You've gotten this far into the podcast, but... um, the whole setup for this movie is Tasia Voss is a hit woman, but in a technological manner, she goes into into a machine, essentially, and enters the minds of other people other pe- and possesses other people's bodies, thereby mm-hmm. giving us the title of the film. She possesses the host's bodies, and she uses them to execute or murder high-value targets for a nefarious, dubious shadow company um, that is interested in acquiring certain technological uh, aspects like a data mining company with Zoo Through in this in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they have a public-facing face, of course. They manufacture all sorts of techno gadgets and fun even things. Toys. Even toys for kids. But they have a nefarious aspect, kind of like the Umbrella Corporation and Resident Evil. You know, they had all their public-facing stuff, like the medical technologies and military technologies. But they also had the stuff they did down in the hive, where they were creating a virus that could wipe out all of humanity, you know? And so it's the same thing with this organization, which is unnamed and possessor. Um, All you really see is a symbol. Yeah, a symbol. We don't really know. We we interact with... uh, 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 Tasia Voss's direct superior, Gerder, played by the always phenomenal and delightful Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, she's obviously amazing in other films like The Machinist and uh, The Hateful Eight. If you haven't seen those, seek them out. Amazing yes, films, please. amazing films. And she is great in them, especially in The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is just... Oh, and Annihilation with Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah. Re- more recently, um, she played a more prominent role uh, in Annihilation, another great sci-fi horror film. 
Um, so, yeah, she's all over the map, like, with genre films. And she's uh, Tossie Voss's direct superior girder. But other than her, we don't get any other higher-ups from this company. So it's all very nefarious and dubious and in the shadows. And um, even Tasia isn't privy to any more knowledge than Gerder allows her to have as far as why they're pursuing certain contract kills and so on and so but forth. to go like into the story a little bit mm-hmm. more, too, mm-hmm. um, she also wants to train her to eventually be her replacement. Yeah, because at one point, Gerder, at a younger age, was this contract hit woman that would take over, possess other people's bodies. But she is now getting older. And can't it's do becoming it harder for her physically because the process of taking over or possessing other people's uh, bodies psychologically, there's only so much psychologically and so much neurologically that your brain can take. Mm-hmm. And so she is kind of at the point now where she can't take it much more anymore. And she wants Tasia to take her place. Going back to the favorite kills and stuff, is that your favorite kill? Yeah, I mean... Um, What's yours? Mine is definitely that. So, uh, you know, I wanted to give a little of the backstory because yeah, sure. part of it is Tasia or Voss, as we'll call her, I guess. Um, um, she, uh, you know, earlier in the film, she's provided with a pistol to take out a high-value target at the beginning of the film where she's already inhabited a host body when we meet her. Um, mm-hmm. But instead of using the pistol, she decides to use a very sharp and serrated steak knife that she finds at the party that she's at. And the death ends up becoming extremely violent, extremely bloody, and and, and uh, brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, you know, uh, Gerder asks her later, you know, she says, why did you use a knife? You were provided with a pistol, and therein lies the rub of Tazyavas is, if nothing else, intrigued by and exhilarated by the thrill of the kill, and she is increasingly, her bloodlust is increasing, and with each kill, she wants to take things further and further and make them more violent, more brutal, more disturbing, uh, because she actually, you know, you know, in a sense, she enjoys uh, it. She enjoys it. She gets off on the kill, and the bloodier, the better. Mm-hmm. And when she kills Sean Bean's character, who is her target, um, you know, again, she has a gun, but well, I say she, she is inhabiting the body of Colin Tate, a man which, as can be seen in the film, is uh, Tasia's first brush with taking on the body of a man. Um, And uh, that introduces some interesting story bits along the way. Um, But just like with the first kill, Colin Tate, or Tasia Voss, has a gun, but also decides to grab a fire poker and uses it to, well, I won't give up too much detail. Nope, nope, but if nope. you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. It'll scar you. Um, yeah, it's brutal. It's bloody. It's disturbing. It's fucking amazing. Like, 
this movie doesn't hold back on the kills. Um, hopefully, you know, you've seen it if you've heard this, and you'll also know that at one point later in the film, there's also the murder of a child. Um, that actually fits very nicely into the story mm -hmm. um, and is explained and understood to be what it is, and it's symbolic for the character of Voss. Um, but you do witness the brutal uh, uh, killing of a child in Which this film. Which, for, for some people, that can be hard to watch. Right, but, but in, you, in we have context, to realize it's just a movie, you know. Well, also in the context of what it is, like when you... When you see the twist, which I won't say what the twist is. Right, yeah, we don't have... Yeah, you, it, it makes it easier, I guess, what you just watched, in a way. Yeah. Well, and the way they shot it, it's very, like, horror movie stylized. Like, it's, it's very appropriate for the movie you're watching, and certainly not the most gruesome or disturbing kill of the movie, even though it happens to a, uh, probably a... Uh, 10 or 11 year old boy yeah all right what's your next question so but we'll move on from that hopefully if you haven't seen it you'll still watch it despite that caveat um trust me it's an amazing film you'll love it our next one kind of stems off of that um we say most creative use of practical or cgi effects you know mm -hmm. we're talking practical effects it can be anything from you know something related to a kill or or, or blood, or gore, or it could be, you know, a mask, or, you know, a, a makeup effect, these kinds of things, makeup effects, special effects, what were you your most creative use, what did you think? You first. Okay, so for me, there's a few things in the film, the realistic kills in the film were very well done. Um, clearly done with practical effects. They just look too damn good to be CG. There, I think there is some CG used in the film for some of the visualizations of what's going on psychologically inside of Colin Tate's mind with Voss oh, yeah, inside sure. of his head. There's some visual effects with that. Um, but I think the, the gist of the film is mainly practical effects and practical makeup effects. Yeah, prosthetics, makeup um dummies that kind of thing um so all the kills are phenomenal my favorite though is the tazia Voss mask um the mask is uh, on the the cover of the the video if you buy it um dvd blu-ray 4k whatever um that image on the poster that image on the video is the Tazia Voss mask and plays deeply into the psychological battle between our heroine and her host. Mm -hmm. um, plays deeply into the plot. It's a visual representation of him um, attempting to mine her memory of her life. Um, but it is creepy as fuck and it is iconic as fuck. And it is literally going to be... Etched a, in your mind? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll be etched in your mind, but years from now, someone could just show you that still, and people are going to immediately know what it is if they've seen this film, because it is so iconic, just like so many things throughout this movie. Brandon Cronenberg 
wow. I mean, he is going to be the next David Cronenberg, literally. I mean, we are going, you know, long after David Cronenberg has passed, you know, hopefully that won't happen soon. Have, you know, God forbid or whatever, or devil forbid, whatever you want to say, <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, you know, hopefully that won't happen soon. But uh, Brandon Cronenberg is only 40, and he's got a long career ahead of him, and I'm looking forward to see what he does next. But, yeah, I mean, his uh, use of practical effects, visual effects, and makeup effects in I this film so... just overall are across the board incredible. I could so see that mask becoming like a Halloween, a mask. Halloween mask. Yeah, you know, because there's always there's like the, you know, Michael Myers. There's Freddy Krueger little glove. This could be like iconic like that. Yeah, I mean, we're talking one it's film creepy. here, sure, but it's just such a stylized iconic image. I could see that too. So yeah, I mean, for sure. what do you say though, as far as like creative, you know, practical CG or or makeup effects? What would you Hmm. pinpoint so i had a different answer earlier when i was watching the movie but i have changed it i really like the visual representation that he used of like showing them their minds being separated or being melted together there's Mm. a part where the fingers no, there's a part where both of their heads are connected and then she tries to pull away. I think it's one of the first times that he notices her in his mind. And then he yeah. looks down and she's laying on the ground with half of his face. And he has, like, half, half of her, her face. face. But also throughout every time that he's trying to take charge or she is, you could see, like, one of them screaming in the background. Yeah. Of trying to you know, take over or be the more dominant one. So Mm. the representation of the back and forth was really cool. Yeah. Those kind of, uh, um, they kind of take you into a, a sunken place type nebula and they show you visually what's going on psychologically and Mm -hmm. neurologically. Mm -hmm. Those are definitely striking sequences to be certain. Yeah, just the whole way that he filmed that was great. Yeah. Um, there's, like, another sequence, too, where um, Colin is, you know, having sex with a girl. But then she comes in, uh, Toss comes in to the psyche. And it's, like, half her, but she also has a dick. Yeah. Like, she like it's is seeing it from her perspective of what it would be like as a man to sleep with a woman. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Which we get a lot of that in the film, too. Um, Tasia has an estranged husband she's separated from and uh, their son together. Um, but you can tell when she inhabits the body of Colin Tate that she's definitely sexually attracted to Colin's girlfriend, the daughter of Sean Bean's character, and um, she very much wants to explore what that would look like from the perspective of being a man. I think to a point that even the girlfriend's like, all right, you're being a little more affectionate than usual. What's going on with you? Yeah, because she's like so drawn to the girlfriend. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so, all right, next we'll move on um, to the next question. Favorite moment with 
favorite character? Amanda, mm. I'll let you go first. All right, so my favorite character is Colin Tate. I love the, this. Yeah. I love this actor, and after seeing him in this, I want to go and watch all of his other movies that he's in, just to see like how he portrays other characters. Yeah. But the way that he acts when he's trying to push her out of his mind and trying to figure out what the fuck just happened. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a point where right after a kill, he is covered in blood and he's like, what the fuck, what the fuck, what what happened? He like, doesn't, what did I do? He doesn't recollect. No. And then he's, like, hitting his own head. He's like, get out of my head. Yeah. Like, just his portrayal of that. Yeah, of, also, the, of the person... His portrayal of a person who does not have control over mm. their own mind. Also, he was really cool when Toss was in his brain. He had a certain voice that he used, but when he was himself, he had an accent. Yeah. Like, she she didn't completely inhabit him to the extent of having his accent. Which, and it's subtle, but it's very, very kind of like what did you say, New Yorkish? New York, Bostonish. Yeah. Like you can hear the different twangs or like. Yeah. No, it's a twang. Yeah. I mean, that's normally associated with Southern accents, but there's a twang to yeah. any accent per se. But just him portraying like himself and her was great. I love it. Yeah, it was a very demanding role. Mm-hmm. Because you're essentially playing two different characters. Yeah. I mean. Definitely. Um, I guess my favorite moment, my favorite character, my favorite character, um, I mean, while I agree with Amanda, I would say that Tazia Voss, the heroine, is is my ultimate favorite character. Um, And I just love watching her and observing her. And there's a sequence that starts with her saying, you know, did I say that? Did I... Uh, partake in that or did I um, it's fine uh, or did I uh, you know participate in that or did I say that and then it continues with her going to see her estranged husband and her son and she does this peculiar thing where she stands you know probably 50 yards away from the door of her family and she starts you know, she's vaping, which is another interesting thing in the film. A lot of the vape uh, mods that are used in the film are very modern, but the one that Tazia Voss has in this moment of the film, it looks very futuristic. So, again, displacing us from time and place. Um, and uh, she starts reciting things like, Hi, how are you? And... Oh, it's nice to see you. And I'm starving. I, I, oh, yes, I'd love to eat. I'm starving. And she starts saying all this stuff, and you don't fully understand what she's doing until later when we see her observing Colin Tate before she inhabits him as the host. Um, and she is repeating things. She She's using spy gear to spy on Colin Tate, and he says something, and she repeats it, and she starts repeating things that he's saying, and you realize... That earlier in the film, in this favorite moment of mine, she's essentially gotten to the point with her job that, in her life, that she doesn't know how to act normal anymore around Mm -hmm. her family. And she has to enlist her professional skills to put on a front. 
or to, to become to, a character or to become a character of sorts of a, some sort of a resemblance of who they once knew mm-hmm. um and so it's a very interesting uh psych psych psychologically it's very interesting seeing like that that struggle that pull and tug of you know i want to make this work even though i know it can't work yeah for sure so all right we'll move on to our next question and i'll start with amanda again um favorite song or musical theme in the movie so i was thinking about this after the movie when i was kind of outside walking our precious puppy um the music it, the underlining music in this has like this sci-fi eerie mm-hmm. sound to it mm-hmm. that like I love music in movies because it sets the tone of a movie and it makes you feel certain emotions and I think that's where my some of my anxiety came from because it just it feeds into certain moments in the movie yeah like but it does have a tiny like a a futuristic kind of sound to it. Yeah. It really good. Yeah, I mean, I would say the same. Like, this film, you know, I wrote this question to work with all sorts of films. Mm-hmm. This film doesn't really have any songs, per se, Mm-mm. in the traditional sense. Um, for me, no bands or anything. It's all, like, instrumental soundtrack, composed yeah. music. Um, but it really does set the stage for the... Uh, and the ambiance for the film to be eerie and disturbing and um, even horrifying at certain moments. There's a moment where when Colin Tate puts on the skin mask of Tazia Voss for the first time, thereby visually representing him taking control of his own mind again and exploring her mind, mm-hmm. um, the music that kicks in right there after he adjusts the mass on his so face creepy. to where his eye and mouth are lined up perfectly. Um, yeah, super creepy, very disturbing. Um, the music gets heightened there, and that's probably my favorite score moment of the movie is when that sequence happens. Yeah, it's, for sure. It's, yeah, it's iconic for sure. Good job, music people. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah. All right, so I don't know if there is a whole lot of quotable moments or dialogue in this film, but do you have a favorite quote or dialogue sequence in the film, Amanda? Um, okay, so I really like the sequence right after she comes out of possessing somebody. She goes through like these little tests with, um, what's the... Girder. Girder. Um, For Jason Lee's character. Yeah. And I like the the whole dialogue. This is my grandfather's pipe. He gave it to me. Or, or yeah. gave my gave it to my dad. My dad gave it to me. Um, yeah. And that kind of changes throughout the film, too. I like that whole yeah. scene and that whole dialogue. But something that's quotable that we will probably quote, you know, later on when we're referring to this movie afterwards with each other. A little inside joke is, I'm I'm starving. I'm starving. Yeah. Yeah. I'm famished. Or even like uh, something that's said throughout the film. Um, oh, yeah. That I like, you know, before she can pull out of this person's mind and 
on the way out have them kill themselves, she continually says throughout the film, pull me out. Because when she speaks out loud, as inside the body of the host, they can hear her speaking in the lab, and they can pull her out right after she forces the person to kill themselves. So pull me out is definitely iconic throughout the film. Um, and then I would also say the Colin Tate's dialogue when he goes to see Michael uh, Voss's estranged husband, when he gives his, his uh, kind of soliloquy about a parasite taking over someone's Ooh, mind. That's a good one. Yeah, the parasite taking over someone's mind. You, I mean, you know, if you've seen the film or you're going to see the film, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it's just of your a really life as a predator. Yeah, yeah, it's just a very iconic series of dialogue that that really stands out in the film. That's really good. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to our final question slash questions. It's kind of a multifaceted question. Um, uh, It is, uh, what about this movie makes you drawn to it? The story, the overall message, the actors or filmmaker, or perhaps nostalgia? Hmm. I think, for me, it's just the whole storyline. Yeah. Because I, like I said earlier, I really enjoy sci-fi horror. Sorry for the listeners. The way I say horror, it sounds like I'm saying horror. So I love horror, too. Everybody loves horror. Yeah, everybody <laughs> loves a good horror. Horror. I'm from East Texas. Pardon me. Ha <laughs> um, But, no, like, I just love the whole you don't know what time periods and I love the whole storyline and the going inside of someone else's brain and taking over. Yeah. Like the concept. Essentially like a human puppet. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and in a way it's like demon possession, but it's mind possession, I guess. Because you're no longer, you know, I like to refer to it as, as like in Get Out where it goes into the sunken place, you know, the people, yeah. they go into the sunken place and, and then the their, you know, white overlords or whatever are essentially controlling them. They're still somewhat aware of what's going on, but they have no control, and that's basically uh, what happens in this film. Yeah. It's just, you know, both involve technology of some sort, you know, and get out. It was brain transplants. Um and in this film, it is a whole series of, you know, implants and technology and all sorts of things. It's also interesting in this movie, like, what was most important to her? Was it her job or her family? And ultimately, yeah. it was her wanting to become the best that she could at her job. Yeah. Like, her job and who she wanted to become Yeah. Be- won over. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this film, you know, in a way... I would say is definitely a feminist message, um, hmm. because um, you have Tazia Voss, and then you have her boss, which is also a woman, Gerder, and uh, it's essentially them executing their plan to get done what needs to get done, whatever the higher ups want or whatever. But 
I mean, it's essentially women in control of deciding how we're going to execute this to achieve what the company wants. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's essentially women in, in charge of the whole thing and... It's very much about, you know, women taking charge and... Women you know, being the killer, too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Having it be a hit woman instead of a hit man. And, um, you know, and that kind of goes back to talking about, you know, why... what Where Tazia Voss had to get was she had to no longer have something that, you know, as they say in the film, the thread that's pulling at her mind mm -hmm. of, you know, her connection with her family because you can't be a successful hitman or hit woman um, if you have that connection, if you have something that somebody can get to because, you know, Colin Tate makes it to her family's home and, you know, is up to no good and it's ultimately a weakness for her, which results in the ending that we have in the film. Um for a reason because you know it takes me back to like james bond 007 like the reason james bond is so stinking good at what he does the reason he was a shoo-in for the double o program is because he was an orphan he had no family he had no connections he had mm -hmm. no loved ones he has nothing to lose he has nothing you can threaten him with and so therefore he is the perfect hitman because he has nothing that can make him weak. He has nothing you can threaten him with to take away. And the same thing, you know, this is the story of Tazia Voss in Possessor of her getting beyond her one thing that's standing between her uh, staying, you know, a mediocre hit woman or becoming that double O status, essentially, the best that she can be, the most unthreatenable, you know, the, the most you can't, you, you know, by the end of the film, there's nothing you can threaten her with, there's nothing you can take away from her, she nothing has, she has essentially become the double O, yeah, nothing to lose, there, there's nothing standing in her way from being the most successful hit woman in history. Also, I kind of think what happens to her family at the end is in a really screwed up way, but in a roundabout way, uh, saving them because... Okay, yeah. So she jumps into these host bodies, but this one was so strong in will yeah. that he overcame her found out where her family is, yeah. goes to attack her family. What makes her think that this couldn't happen again? Right. And even worse. And I was thinking you know? about that, and I think the killings are of her family are essentially mercy killings. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, they're also her venting her frustration with her estranged husband and with having this... She's, you know, she deeply loves her son, but at the same time she realizes that he's her Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. And she knows that not only does she have to kill them to protect them from someone else killing them, but she realizes that he is an Achilles heel for her and that if anything happened to him at the hands of anyone else, 
that... It, it would distract her from her job. Right, yeah, or it would prevent her from doing her job because what's to stop someone later of, like, tracking down her family and being like, hey, get out of this host's body or we'll kill your family. Well, also, it... Throughout the movie, like, there's a scene where she goes, while she's in the host, to visit, to look after them and see what they're doing. And that, like, distracts her from her job, from her mission. Like, she keeps going back to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's a way of, hey, no more distraction. Yeah. Distraction, vulnerability. Yeah. Like, just all of it. This is a very deep movie, multi-layered. You'll be thinking about it for a long time, and you'll want to watch it again. Um, Such an incredible film, Possessor. I highly recommend it. Um, hopefully you've seen it if you've listened to all this. Really and, hope you've seen it. <laughs> yeah, and if not, we we actually haven't given everything away. Mm-mm. And there is plenty more to see beyond the thrills and chills of the horror per se, but just the fact that, you know, this film to me is not only the best horror movie I've seen in 2020, I would say it's the best film I've seen in 2020. You, you know, I was just thinking too... Even though Sean Bean had, like, a small, short part in this, he does such a good job of making you really, really hate him. Yeah, like, he... Sean Bean is such a talented actor that he convinces you of how much of a dick he is in a matter of five minutes. Yeah. probably less than that. Ugh. Like, he's just a despicable person. But even as bad as he is when he's being killed... (laughs) <laughs> You're just like, I don't know if he was that bad of a guy. I mean, Jeez. but, you know, so, you know, it was really great talking about Possessor with you, Amanda. Yeah. This is kind of what we do normally, just yeah. between us, so it's and, fun to record it. Yeah, I mean, between, like, kind of like what Amanda and I typically discuss around films combined with some encouragement and support from Latrice Carter, which Thank y'all you, know. Latrice. Yeah, which y'all know from Horror Movie Warriors. I've guest butted on there several times. Um, it was her encouragement um, and support that got me to make this first podcast, and hopefully, I, you know, I will continue and and have her on. Too. Yeah, and I'll definitely have her on. I think I already got her signed up for my episode of. Uh, Psycho Uncut, um, which I just recently got, yeah. So with the with the Janet Lee, uh, yeah. So um, that'll be exciting. Incredible movie, but yeah, um, it's been great. This has been a good first episode, I think. And I think we're gonna leave it at that and head on into our outro. So I appreciate y'all. Hopefully, we'll continue to build the Facebook group. Satanist Sanctum. Invite your friends. Word of mouth. Let's get this thing going. Let's create a movement, people. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye, horror freaks. Thank you for joining us for tonight's inaugural episode of Necronathan Presents Satanist Sanctum. I hope you had a horrific time. Good night and good luck.